0: The land use reform that's currently underway in Charlottesville dates back to January 2017, when the Planning Commission at the time began work on a review of the Comprehensive Plan. I wrote about that work for the next 18 months before I took a break from journalism and out of the light. The Seaville Plans Together process began just before the pandemic, a crisis that prompted me to step out of the shadows and back to the grind of documenting meetings. The first segment on Seville Plans Together in Charlottesville Community Engagement was on August 24th, 2020, which was the 31st installment of this program. I'm grateful for the many supporters who have helped pave the way to get me all of the way to 614. I'm Sean Tubbs, committed to adding up numbers as long as I can. On today's program, Charlottesville City Council will hold the first of two scheduled work sessions on the development code tonight. The city has published a list of changes that have been made since the draft zoning ordinance was advertised for council's public hearing. And several dozen people spoke at what may be the final public comment period before council takes a vote. (laughs) In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, the holidays are here, and the friends of Charlottesville downtown and the Charlottesville Albemarle Convention and Visitors Bureau are ready for another season of magic on the mall. Coming up later this week, there will once again be something for every member of the family. The Jolly Holly Trolley will be running up and down the mall from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Saturdays and Sundays through December 23rd. You can take free selfies with Santa from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. this Saturday, December 16th. Go on a magical scavenger hunt to find the elves in Seaville by starting a Charlottesville Insider or downloading the map online. Follow the Peppermint Trail where you can find all sorts of treats. And downtown businesses will have a festive face-off in the Best in Snow Window competition. And you can vote for the jolliest. That's Friends of Downtown Seaville and the Charlottesville Albemarle Convention and Visitors Bureau with magic on the mall. Take a look if you can. Tonight, Charlottesville City Council will meet at 6 p.m. in City Council Chambers for the first of two work sessions, where they will continue their deliberations on the development code following last week's public hearing. There is a 19-page packet for the meeting that's worth reviewing for anyone who will be watching tonight. In that memo, James Freese, the city's director of Neighborhood Development Services, says that the memo provides a summary of the design and discretionary review issues and describes potential amendments to the advertised development code. And uh, before getting to those changes, uh, Fries also wrote about the tension between balancing the dense development that's called for in the comprehensive plan and preservation of the city's historic character. One major change sought by council members during their deliberations so far has been the reintroduction of legislative review of projects in the city's entrance corridors. Fries writes that the objective becomes how the zoning and guidelines can enhance the predictability of the outcome while still accomplishing historic preservation. Go ahead and read all that stuff. Fries and his staff are recommending several additions for council to consider in their deliberations. There are also questions for final consensus. There's a whole lot of material and a lot of questions before council, but I'm going to go ahead and skip ahead to the public hearing because we're getting very close to the deliberations. Staff will also be prepared to answer questions about utilities, as we're going to hear in a moment that topic did come up. But what impact will testimony from dozens of community members have on the final form of Charlottesville's new zoning code? On December 5, 2023, Charlottesville City Council held their required public hearing for the generational shift in land use rules. There were no introductions about the CIVIL Plans Together initiative and no descriptions of just what the new development code will do. Charlottesville Mayor Lloyd Snook got right to the point before asking City Council Clerk Kena Thomas to read the name of the first speaker. So, thank you all for coming. Ms. Thomas, who's first? Our first speaker is Dr. Dan Miller. This is where I admit I cannot write every single part of the entire public hearing. I also confess I used a transcript generated by the group that goes by the name CRP Seville, a transcript that you can review in a link in the newsletter. A major reason for the new development code is to increase the number of places where people can live. Dr. Dan Miller said he feels the residential A and residential B categories will do just that but he's not sure about the third tier known as residential C. I think what RC will do is take people like me um, who who don't need the extra handout, the extra cash uh, that this will will give me um, uh, by making my property more valuable than my neighbors. And I'm asking um, uh, you guys to not make that decision because I don't need that help. And I don't think that picking winners in that way um, that will be able to sell out their property to develop commercial light style buildings um, will facilitate equity in housing. Tyler Miller is a member of the tree commission who spoke as an individual. If we're talking about equity, you know, this, this meeting um, it should be at one o'clock on a Saturday. Uh, you know, I, I work in tech. I'm going to go home and, and work some more after I leave here. Um, I was lucky enough to be able to take the time off to be here, um, but a lot of people can't. Landscape architect Martha Dunley pointed out a loss of tree canopy means fewer places for non-humans to live. We need more housing for humans and habitat for wildlife. Both are essential for our survival. Several people expressed concern that more people will come with a need for more government services, including infrastructure. We're going to hear in rapid succession here from Belmont resident Sharon Kelly and Mark Cavett. High cost infrastructure improvements and repairs require imposing a significant new tax burden on all residents, including renters, causing financial distress and possibly displacement. There's been no clear presentation or shall we say representation regarding this new tax implication to the public. The profits only go to developers while we're left paying the infrastructure costs or being forced from our homes. The goal here is not only to build more, to tax more, but also to increase the market value of your lot as for what can be built there. This will result in higher assessments and higher taxes for all of us. So that's six speakers so far, and the seventh continued in the same vein. Here is Roy Van Dorn. With increased population... There are several needs for new sewer treatment plant, as it just happened in Austin, at a cost of $379 million. Besides the question of where do we put such a sewer system, sewer treatment plant, where is the city going to get the hundreds of millions of dollars to finance that? These answers are to be found in planning and budget documents of the Rivanna Water and Sewer Authority. The city of Charlottesville is one of two clients of the public utility, with the Albemarle County Service Authority being the other with revenues coming from rates, not taxes. The main wastewater treatment plant is near the convergence of Morris Creek and the Rivanna River. In 2012, the RWSA completed a $48 million upgrade that increased capacity. In November, the Morris Creek Wastewater Treatment Plant processed an average of just under 9 million gallons a day. You can learn more on the RWSA website. and Maybe you can help to check and see if the Sevillepedia article is up to date. So that's seven voices that I've classified as skeptical in my basic accounting. Let's skip ahead to the first favorable speaker of the night. Jeff Levine is the developer of 600 West Main Street, as well as two other apartment complexes that still have not gone to construction. Levine spoke in favor of no more further legislative reviews for big projects. I am here to uh, implore you to not have any text In the ordinance where the BAR council or anyone for that matter can put conditions on approval or have another look at projects and as a result decrease height or density prescribed by the ordinance immediately afterward and speaker number 12 is michael kaplan of the group friends of downtown seaville who called for reduction of barriers to allow more people to live downtown downtown desperately needs more people living there who walk the streets every day. And this is possible only if we increase downtown residential capacity. We urge you to implement a zoning ordinance that encourages the construction of residential units downtown by minimizing obstacles that prevent delivery of apartments and condos at every single price point. The next speaker skewed skeptical. Nancy Summers pointed out the impact on her neighborhood. The upzoning of Barracks Road would permit 94 new lots and 500 new housing units to be built between Emmett Street and Rugby Road. In the nearly 40 years that I have lived next to Barracks Road and attended meetings about the road, no one has ever suggested that the road needed to become more crowded. Summers also alluded to a smart scale funded project to widen a sidewalk on Barracks Road that would reduce the width of vehicular lanes. There's a Sevilpedia article for that, too, which could use some updating. Similar skeptical sentiments were stated by speakers number 13, number 14, and number 15, and number 16. Speaker number 17 was former city councilor and one-time mayor, David Brown, who expressed concern about the removal of parking requirements in the draft development code. Even with the goal of better transit and improving, improved walk and bike ability, most households will want to have at least one car taking kids to soccer practice, grocery shopping, medical appointments, working the night shift. There is no short-term path to a better bus system. Some neighborhoods can handle more on-street parking, but some cannot. Moving ahead to speaker number 20, David Berzanski supports additional homes, especially if many of them can be small cottages in backyards. He wants the city to pay for utility connections. The city should build the sewage infrastructure necessary so that individual cottages can connect to city water and sewage systems affordably with the goal of having gravity-fed systems wherever possible and so that each project is not a bespoke endeavor. Elizabeth Stark was next as Speaker Number 21, an enthusiastic supporter of more density, but not as much in the areas designated in the Core Residential Neighborhood Overlay District or the Residential Core Neighborhood A District. We know that displacement, gentrification, and targeting some of our lower-income neighborhoods for development has been a key problem historically. And I really want to see us make sure that we develop across the city, um, particularly near the University of Virginia. Stark urged her support for the two projects near the University of Virginia that council deferred at their meeting on December 4th. Speaker number 24 is a resident from the Meadows neighborhood, which is north of U.S. 29-250 and on the western side of Emmett Street, south of Hydraulic Road. At one point, the properties, some of them at least, were to have been designated for protection as the future land use map depicted them as sensitive communities. And I think it would be prudent to have more discussions before you vote on whether or not to include the Meadows neighborhood as a sensitive area. Today, we learned from the map that the Meadows is not being included, I think. In terms of my note-taking, I put that one in the other column. Speaker number 25 is Ibrahim Khalil, a representative of the UVA Student Council Legislative Affairs Agency. He urged council to turn the dials up on allowable density. We ask you to further vote on adding affordable high bonuses and to increase building footprint maximums in RA, RB, and RC, and to keep Planning Commission recommendations for more intense areas. The chair of the city's tree commission weighed in and sounded a cautious tone. Here is Jeff Ayton. We appreciate the many tree protection measures the new code contains. However, there are additional requirements we believe will help to preserve existing trees and to assure, ensure new trees are planted properly. For specifics, I'll remind you there is an informal transcript. Speaker number 28 lives on Rugby Avenue and objects to the residential C designation. Out of a concern, it will reduce tree canopy and create parking issues. Here's Tim Long. The plan may not want people to have cars, but they're going to have cars. You're not going to be able to limit people to having no cars. If there's no off-street parking, residents will still have cars and they're going to park them wherever they can find a spot. Speaker number 29 supports the plan and said a majority of the city supports it. Here's Mark Anderson. And is a result of years of research and public input, which has led to the plan that we have today. And it is reflective of the needs and wants of the majority of the city, as evidenced by the most recent city council elections and the success of pro housing candidates. The 2023 city council race was the first one I recall in my time here that was not competitive, with three candidates on the general election ballot for three seats. We'll hear from city councilor-elect Natalie Oshrin later. Let's close out this section with the first section of a poem written by and read by Martha Smythe. And it's entitled Build, Build, Build. Build anything you want. Build it almost anywhere. Block in a whole neighborhood. They won't really care. Build it to ten stories and cut off sun and view. That doesn't really matter if it's what you want to do. Build it to the sidewalk if one exists at all. Who cares if our city looks like a parking lot or mall? No need to offer parking for any home you've built, for driving cars will burden folks with horrid shame and guilt. And so on. That takes us up to speaker 30, and by this point there were 19 skeptics, eight favorables, and three I classified as other. Please keep in mind that there's no actual score. The only number that matters is three of five council votes, and none of those 19 skeptics ran for council. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement, and it's time for another sponsored message. From Crozet to Barracks Road, the downtown mall to the shops at Stonefield, and everywhere in between... Albemarle County and Charlottesville's offices of economic development encourage you to buy local this holiday season. Buying locally supports our neighbors and community members and makes a big impact for our local economy. Local businesses are more likely to reinvest in our community and their goods and services contribute to the unique character of our community. Learn more about how you can support local business at showlocallove.org and on socials at by local seville albemarro. are back now, and there are still several dozen speakers left to go in this accounting of the December 5th public hearing for what's ended up as the third leg of the Seville Plans Together initiative. Speaker number 31 has lived in Charlottesville since 1988 and invoked a literary metaphor. Here's Andrew Grimshaw. A bit more than two years ago, the comprehensive plan rezoning process began. At the time, it was sold as an open process being done with an open mind that would take community input into consideration quote, Charlottesville Plans Together, close quote, it turns out is an Orwellian slogan that makes one think that the city and contractor doing the work were actually interested in what neighborhoods thought about increased development. This is not the case. From the beginning, there was a clear mission to significantly increase density in the city regardless of what neighborhood stakeholders thought. The genesis of the Seville Plans Together initiative was a vote by a city council in February of 2019 to move forward with an affordable housing plan, a comprehensive plan update, and then a new zoning code. I wrote about it at the time. A request for proposals was soon put out afterwards, and it's worth noting the exact language that was used. Here's a section from the request for proposals. Rather than relying on the existing power structure to set the narrative and define the discussion, the community engagement strategy must leverage community relationships and expertise to genuinely engage our community. The comprehensive plan update, housing strategy, zoning ordinance rewrite must be consistent and supportive of these aims, reflecting the values of the community and commitment to equity and inclusion, recognizing the troubling history of segregation, racial covenants, urban renewal, and exclusionary zoning, but also celebrating the diversity, history, culture, and visual beauty of our community. Only one firm responded to the RFP, and Roadside and Harwell has overseen the process that has gotten us to here. The 32nd speaker at the public hearing is a member of the group Strong Towns, which advocates for careful planning and a greater understanding of how cities actually work. Jessica Otey said the current zoning code may not lead to the outcomes that proponents are claiming will happen. Enticing profiteering developers to jump several levels of density will only end up repeating the distortion effects of our current, overly restrictive zoning. The claim that if we just build more housing, magically costs will come down, or that by increasing density in place X, we will protect place Y, these are precisely the traps that result from mistaking the complex for the complicated. Cities aren't machines. Speaker number 33 called for a referendum on the zoning code. Speaker number 4 wanted the Meadows neighborhood to be treated like other properties and not to have the anti displacement mechanisms in place there. Speaker number 35 lauded the provisions in the draft zoning code that will allow for commercial businesses in neighborhoods. Here's Josh Kron. Being able to walk to a corner store or cafe in less than 15 minutes is a key that unlocks car free and car light living. This won't happen overnight. It'll take years for neighborhoods like mine to become dense enough to support more than one or two retail shops. But we have, to, we have to start allowing things to grow organically by trial and error as the needs of residents change. Speaker number 36 is former city councilor and former delegate David Toscano, and he called for balance. He also had a legal warning. Don't create too much upzoning because you won't be able to go back without drawing a lot of lawsuits. In fact, I think there are legal potholes all along the way in this this, uh, this, uh, development plan. You should find the most articulate critic who is a lawyer of this plan and let them go through this plan and rip it apart so you can put it back together so it will sustain a challenge in court because it's a big deal. Speaker number 43 is another former city councilor. Dee Dee Smith pointed out that there is no representation on city council from her neighborhood of Frye Spring. She said a section of Monte Vista Avenue that's been designated as Residential B doesn't make sense. It it, it doesn't even make sense. I mean, if you look at it, and I encourage you to look at it, first block of Monte Vista, it it just doesn't make any sense that it should be upzoned. Sadly, this arbitrary pattern is repeated throughout the southwest side of the tracks a huge chunk of the city that hasn't been given any voice by any of you, by any sensitive areas. Smith said one solution for her would be to zone all residential property the same. Speaker number 45 is the current president of the Rose Hill Neighborhood Association, and she asked for more properties in that neighborhood to be down to become RNA rather than residential B. Flo Taylor had more specific requests as well. Since the Core Neighborhood Overlay District uses CX-3, as the base zoning, we see it as only fair that no areas within our neighborhood be zoned for taller than three stories by right. We request that the two blocks contained with Rose Hill Drive, Charlton Avenue, Albemarle Street, and Dale Avenue be changed from the proposal NX-5 to NX-3. Several people endorsed a letter from an entity called the Coalition for Low-Income Housing, whose website also contains links to two reports authored by the Legal Aid Justice Center, others endorsed materials produced by the group Livable Seaville. After speaker number 50, more people who had signed up had either left or opted not to speak. At one point there was a bit of confusion and there were two people, numbered number 66. Speaker number 69 makes part of his living as a small developer in the community. Oliver Platts Mills called on the city to upzone the city so more people can live here. He's a member of the Board of Directors at Charlottesville Tomorrow and the organization's website lists him as the owner and operator of a small real estate company called Sixth and Dice LLC. I also have some experience um, having renovated a number of houses, taken multifamily houses and upgraded them to include more units um, and Acting as a property manager, renting small units in Charlottesville, the demand um, is incredible. The work appears lucrative, too. In the past two years, Platts Mills has sold two properties in the city of Charlottesville. He had purchased 338 10th and a Half Street in the 10th and Page neighborhood for $90,000 on September 11th, 2012. That's well below the $178,200 assessment for that year. On May 24, 2022, the property sold for $550,000. On January 17, 2017, Platts Mills purchased 326 10th and a half Street Northwest for $90,000, also below assessment. This property, with two units, sold for $510,000 on July 28, 2023. Platts Mills is the registered agent of at least four other LLCs that own property in what the future land use map regards as sensitive communities. Stay tuned to my property transactions to see if those properties are sold in the near future. Skipping ahead, attorney Valerie Long was speaker number 90, though by this point, the number of dropouts had increased. Long said she supports the draft zoning ordinance, but urged council to reconsider limiting heights and entrance corridors. There are a number of zoning districts that um, involve parcels that are located adjacent to entrance corridors where the current ordinance allows heights that exceed five stories already. And so by proposing with that proposal, the building heights would actually, the limits would be less. We've heard from two former city councilors so far. Now let's hear a future one. Incoming city councilor Natalie Oshman was one of three candidates on the ballot for three seats in November. Former city councilor Bob Benwick ran in the Democratic primary in June and appeared to be an opponent of the development code, but he placed fourth in the five-way race. He didn't speak at the public hearing. Oshman said she ran on a campaign to increase housing and transit. The displacement and high prices we see now are a product of the current system, and we are indeed 70 years behind in creating new homes and opportunities. Please vote yes on the new code with provisions to eliminate parking requirements, re-legalize neighborhood-scale commercial use, and reconsider the revised height limits along what's been deemed entrance corridors, which are too restrictive. Former city councilor Kevin Lynch was officially Speaker 102, and I classified his comments in the skeptical column. He said opening up the market to development will not have the outcomes that proponents have claimed. What I see in this plan is a house flippers mecca. They're going to come here and it's going to be hard to have them turning lots into, you know, breaking them up into little McMansions. The final speaker is Sam Gulland, who I put in the favorable column. I'm excited about RA replacing the R1 zoning districts. Um, I think you should be able to build a duplex. I think you should be able to you know, operate a business on your land. I think those are good changes. I'm excited about increased density in some places. Gulland was among those who were not excited about 245 apartment units next to the property he owns on Caroline Avenue. Earlier this year, he challenged a city ruling before the Board of Zoning Appeals regarding Zero East High Street, a ruling that is moot now that council has paid $5.9 million to purchase the property to keep it from being developed. What will council decide? Well, that's a matter for future stories. What will the impact of the development code be? Another set of future stories. It's my belief that this community will need dedicated reporters who will cover the details in a way that allows people to get past the slogans and into the granular. Thanks to your support, I hope to be among their number. And speaking of numbers, my final score on the public hearing was Skeptics 36, Favorable 52, Other 6. Number of episodes of Charlottesville Community Engagement, 614. What will happen? Well, after I hit send on this edition, I'm going to get to work on edition number 615, which will hopefully come out tomorrow, but who knows. What will be in it? I'm not sure yet, but on any given day, there are all sorts of things to write about. We live in a complex world and a complex community, but we are creatures who sometimes seek understanding in simple terms. A goal of my journalism is to flesh out the nuance of complex situations where there's not a lot of community knowledge about how things work. I've spent my career trying to approach the work in this fashion, and I am grateful to be able to do so. And I'm able to do so thanks to paid subscribers through Substack and thanks to Patreon members. If you'd like to join them, please do consider doing so. If you pay for a Substack subscription, Ting, the internet company Ting, will match your initial subscription. Thanks, Ting, and thanks for listening. On to 6.15. Goodbye.